Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. Okay, week two of the Christ Covenant series, and we're looking at personal devotion this week. So Jason, in your introduction, you talked about the church as providing a trellis on which vines can grow. So you said that when you have a church that's all vines without trellis or all trellis with no vines, it's not healthy. So can you play out that metaphor with us a little bit here? What would those scenarios look like practically? All trellis, no vine, or the other way around? Yeah, and and I think, I mean, obviously it's a good illustration and there's a book, Colin Marshall, The Trellis and the Vine, you and I are both aware of, really, really helpful. The, um, and and I think it could look a, a couple of different ways, Will, to be honest, but you know, I'm thinking about a church where, and I hear this all the time, like, man, I love the worship there. I love the teaching, but there's no discipleship. And so there's a sense where the spirit is at work um, and people are coming to faith. People are even growing in their faith because the teaching's good, the worship's good. But because the church doesn't have a lot of like external or or beyond the worship service structure, um, there there's kind of not, there, there are no next steps, or there's not like an orderly next step. At the same time, like you could have a church where there's tons of discipleship programs and tons of next steps, and it's very easy to know what to do, um, but there's no spiritual growth for whatever reason, maybe because it's, you know, not a spirit-filled church, or maybe because there, you know, all of that structure is there, but there is no gospel centrality and conversion is not happening. And so, I, th- I think what we're talking about here, or it's just very legalistic. I mean, I think, I, I do think like all trellis, no vine. It's like all these people are doing a lot of things. But, you know, if you listen last week, I talked about 2 Corinthians 3. They're not beholding the glory of God and being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And so I think what we're talking about is creating, we want a church, we want to be a part of a church that, you know, understands that there is some if you will, structure or effort um, or what we're calling behaviors or rhythms that are true of the Christian life, but it, it, but it's not so dominant, it, 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 but rather it's not so, it's not like just behavioral. It's, 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 those are environments where in, where we behold the glory of God, where we see God um, doing his work. So that's kind of the, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, again, I, I, I understand that can be unclear because it's a new maybe idea for people. People aren't always thinking about church structure like I am and maybe you are. <laughs> um, but but yeah, the, the hope is that, there, that these activities that we're kind of asking you to do, quiet time, giving, worship service, go into a group, wouldn't just be Christian activities that make you feel better about yourself, but where you really encounter God and are conformed into his image. And I think there's a danger of 
over-relying either on the trellis, like the programs in the church, and thinking that those are going to do the work of discipleship, or on the vine part, like, oh, we just want to grow but without giving people any guidance on how to grow. Uh, and so a healthy totally. church is going to understand, they're not going to over-rely on either side of that equation. Well, and, 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 and let's talk about that because I, actually I hear a, a lot from people like, well, we just want to have disciples. I just want to like be discipled or have discipleship, man. Uh, I don't want to do Sunday school or I don't want to do small groups. It's like, well, and, and, and in their mind, discipleship is like two guys meeting for coffee week by week. And, and I would say if that is, that's fantastic. That's amazing. But all you've done is recreated another program. Like to some degree, like programs, you can't have an, a, a, a non-programmatic church. Like, you know, I understand the sentiment here, but like the, like if you schedule something and do it on a regular basis, you've created a program. Like right. it may not be a wanna, but it it is to some degree programmatic and, and something being programmatic or, you know, this is kind of the whole institutional, like something like what is an institution? It, to some degree, it just means it's regular. Um, and I think that like regularity is not bad, but empty regularity is bad. And I think that's the thing with the trellis and the vine. Like if you have a trellis with no vines growing on it, it's not actually serving the vine, then that is not a good, what's the point, you know? Yeah. So what are some structures at Christ's covenant? What are parts of the trellis uh, that can help people grow in their faith and be healthy vines that you'd want to point I think that's people a, to? I think that's a really good question, Will, because to be honest, some of these things, we're not even really like providing the trellis, if you will. We're, we're saying like, he, here's the idea, but, but you kind of have to go do this. So for all of these, we have some trellis. So corporate worship, obviously we have a corporate worship service and we want people to come to that personal devotion, we provide resources for that. We've got the field guide. We've got a reading plan. We've got devotionals that we sell. Uh, we've got the Our Daily Rhythm podcast. And so we have resources. But again, like you have to engage with those at whatever level you will. Family worship, same thing. We've written the catechism. We've got other books. I mean, I love the I know this coming Sunday, we're giving out the big picture story, which I love that book mm -hmm. and uh, have a lot of fond memories of our family going through that. Um, well, okay. So that's a resource that we're giving people. But again, like you have to sit down as a family and do that. Now we can tell you how we would suggest doing that. I can tell you how I do that, but in a sense, you have to program that yourself. Um, and then you get, you know, kind of into the kingdom piece, support the church. Again, now we have online giving tools. There's ways to do that. Um, we certainly can suggest biblical principles for giving, but that's something that you have to do yourself. Relational discipleship, we have a massive trellis, right? We have this whole group system, and we have the institute, and we have um, the cohort system, and, and that requires a ton of work, right? Because we're that's a hard trellis to you know just kind of come up with and build. Uh, the evangelism one, again, that's more on your own. Now, we have some tools. We have the table talk tool, which I think is a really helpful tool, but you kind of do it. Serve the church again, massive trellis. We we have created all these service opportunities, bless the cities. We have a little bit of a trellis. We have different city opportunities, but we want you to be doing some of that on your own. Reach the world. Again, there's some trellis. And, and those are, I mean, Billy Bean just started. Those are trellises, I would say, at Christ Covenant that are developing. And, and the truth of the matter is, Will, because those trellises are a little underdeveloped, 
I would say our church is a little underdeveloped in those things. We, we aren't sending church planters and missionaries as we would like to, because I think to some degree we don't have as many vines growing. I mean, it's interesting. Two of the people that we are hopefully about to send as missionaries are wanting to connect with the one really good partner that we've had for the last several years in Paris. And so that trellis is actually proven to produce some really good fruit. So that, 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 that hopefully helps you understand, you know, I think that's a great question that, that hopefully understands if you, if that was all confusing to you yesterday, um, the trellis that we're talking about are the structures that we have in place to help yeah. you make those growth steps. Right. And as we continue to go through this series, people are going to get to see more clearly both what the trellises are, but also be inspired to grow along those trellises that's and look right. for ways yep. to do that. Yeah. And so keep on watching this space uh, in uh, this will fill out your understanding of the church and what it provides for you uh, over the next. And, you know, weeks. we may need to return back to that analogy, you know, in the series mm -hmm. as it goes on. Yeah. Well, now let's turn to Psalm one, which was the text that you focused on to talk about um, personal devotion. And I thought this was a great choice as a text, partly because within the Psalter, the, the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm one serves as this introduction. And what it does is it, it introduces all of the Psalms as a way in which we can meditate on and develop our delight in the law of the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, and it presents it as this choice that we're making as we read the Psalms, as we read the rest of Scripture, as we live our lives. Everything that we do is a choice between are we becoming more righteous or more wicked? But one of the mm. things that you pointed out in this Psalm that's so profound is that it indicates that that choice is not always intentional, right? How do that's we? Right. How do we make this unintentional choice towards righteousness or wickedness? How does that play out in our lives? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we talked a little bit about in the sermon about the triads, you know, the, the, the person that just starts walking by, then he's standing, then he's sitting, you know? And so again, I think that is really how life goes. I mean, the counsel of the wicked is around us all the time. And it's inviting. I mean, you know, there is, we do have an enemy that wants us to run away from the Lord and, and wants to steal our delight in the Lord. And so his schemes are really good. I mean, it, there's all these inviting things that are around us all the time. Uh, I mean, the classic idols, the classic allures, you know, you know, money, sex, and power, uh, claim. I mean, these kinds of things that can so grab our attention um, that that ultimately pull us away from delighting in the Lord, um, and 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 ultimately, I mean, the great problem of sin will is this, you know, I, and I've you've heard me talk about this before. I believe that in the very beginning we were more aware of God than we were of ourselves, and I think that is the right human posture to be ultimately aware of God, and I think the sinful posture is to be ultimately aware of ourselves and not aware of God, to be blind to God because we're so focused on ourselves and so aware of ourselves. And so, you know, I think that that progression of being led away from the Lord, being self-focused is, is very natural. And again, I think we see it in the text where you start off, you're walking, then you're standing, and then you're sitting. And you and I were talking earlier about the seat of the scoffer. You have become the scoffer. You have become the man that said there is no God. You've become the man that that is just the total skeptic of the age. Um, and so that is the the way of the wicked, which again, nobody wakes up and says, you know, it's it's not like people start off and say, 
curse you, God, right? Mm-hmm. They, they start off and they say, I want to be rich. Or they start off and they say, I mean, and the interesting thing is they're all actually pursuing prosperity. I mean, that's the interesting thing about this passage too. Everybody's going after prosperity. It's just how you go about prosperity. Is it is by being planted in the, and delighting yourself in the word of God, or is it, you know, in the counsel of the wicked or in, in some other way? Um, and so, yeah, I just think that's an interesting thing to think about. And as I said, the, the, the city has these gusts of wind that, you know, if you're not careful, you'll just get caught into. Uh, you'll just get blown away. Yeah, let's come back to that in a second. But, you know, this opening triad here about walking, standing, sitting, uh, it reminds me in my family, we have a kind of inside joke about whether my dad has deemed a show or a football game or whatever, sit down worthy. Because my yeah, dad, okay. <laughs> he will walk by the TV and then he'll stand and he will stand for an hour and watch something because he doesn't want to commit to sitting down because he knows not, yeah. once he sits in that couch, it'll be so much harder for him to get up again. Mm. But when he'll finally sit down, we'll always comment on that. Oh, okay. This is worth sitting down for. Sit down worthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's um, it. I mean, Bill yeah. Kynes is the, he is this guy, you know? <laughs> So he's aware of these dynamics. And I don't think we are often we, you know, we just kind of come into the room and sit down without realizing what we're sitting down for and how once we've sat down, how hard it is to get back up again. Amen. Uh, Yeah. So that's a really helpful thing to think about. So let's think about that in in terms of Atlanta, because you talked about how in Atlanta, there are these gusts of wind that blow. We are being discipled by our environment. So what are some practical examples of how that that looks in Atlanta, those gusts of wind. Well, what does I, it look like? I talked a little about with the illustration yesterday, but I mean, you know, you, you all heard me say in Atlanta, you know, you're either closing the big deal, you're remodeling your house, or you're going on an epic vacation, you know, <laughs> you know, and then I've added, and or you're getting a doodle, you know, uh, and um, <laughs> and again, there's there's nothing. I mean, that's the thing. There, there's nothing intrinsically wrong about remodeling your home or making a deal. I mean, some of these are actually good things to do. Or going on a vacation or getting a pet dog. I mean, these are all good things. But it, it it becomes kind of the currency of identity. I know that I'm special because. Um, and and really it becomes in this, you know, I know this gets to where we're going here, but it becomes what you delight in. I mean, that idea, mm-hmm. what is your delight? What is the thing that like has grabbed your heart, is stirring your affections, is moving you? And, you know, the, the the city of Atlanta does not delight in the Lord. It delights in business success. It delights in leisure. It delights in beauty. It del- and, and again, I mean, these are things that are created by the Lord. They have their proper place, but the, but they can, but, but the created thing becomes the ultimate thing, right? The created thing, you know, ends up trumping the, the creator. And obviously Atlanta is not different than many cities in the world. They're just the way that it's kind of showcased and manifest is a little different. And it's very easy for our folks. And I I think about this for our folks. And this is why you need worship services, why you need personal devotion. I mean, if you started every day, Will, you know, we, we, y'all have heard me talk about Jonathan Edwards, every Christian's just been 30 minutes talking about heaven or thinking about heaven every day. If you spent 30 minutes every day thinking about heaven, thinking about God, thinking about ultimate things, which is really what a devotional time is. I don't always spend my devotional time thinking about heaven, but I try to think about God at least and try to think about his word. And I try to like, when I read my Bible, 
um, I try to think about it as if the Lord is speaking to me. And again, I mean, sometimes it's not, it's not a burning bush experience, but you know, some of it, it, it requires actually some discipline. It requires, like I just said, some, some actual, you know, I'm not, it is the Lord speaking to you. I'm going to use this word, not as if this is imaginary, but it almost, for me, it requires some imagination. I have to think about it. Okay. I am sitting underneath the counsel of God right now. Um, and so again, not that it's not the counsel of God. So I don't, I don't want you to misinterpret what I mean by imagination. I just, it, for me to frame, to receive the word rightly, um, you know, I have to, I have to think a little harder about who I am and what I'm doing. So anyway, um, the, uh, um, yeah, the point I'm trying to make here is unless we have those anchors in our lives, the, the, the winds of the day will carry us away and we will become more self-focused. And, and for me personally, when I'm not in regular rhythms of worship and prayer, I become irritable, become angry. I become very focused on my comfort. I become very focused on money. I mean, I look, those winds just pick up in my life and I don't even, it's not like I decided. It's not like I set out in the day and said, I'm going to be more selfish today, but it just happens. That's the way the wind blows. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a way we can turn this around and say, okay, the city is going to blow at us. And if we're not careful, we're going to be like this chaff in the psalm and it's going to take us away. But then we might be tempted to think, oh, that means that everything I do has to be a conscious decision to resist that. And I wonder if there's a sense in which what you've just described is actually creating the opposite effect where we step into a different jet stream, so to speak, where uh, I see what you're we saying, can yeah. make unconscious decisions that push us in the right direction. Uh, I, mean, yes. I guess it's kind of like, you know, sending out our roots to bring right. in the water, as you were talking about. But there's a sense Yeah, in it becomes by, a part of you. I mean, that's the yeah. meditating. It, 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 God's truth, it just becomes how you think. Um, it, it just becomes your default. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. How, how do you make... Jesus and his kingdom, your default, uh, and not the way of the world. And, 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 and I think the answer, the simple answer to that will is like the rhythms of faith. I mean, I think we're, yeah. we're training ourselves in righteousness. Because I think people could just be overwhelmed and think, oh, I have to fight so hard. And when is this? And there is a fight that's a part of it, but it does get easier as you get into these rhythms, as you develop these habits. Well, and it, and, and that's what, I mean, we've, we've talked about that some, I mean, this, this idea of liberty, I mean, we talked about this last week, like this idea of freedom, um, that, you know, the Christian life should ultimately feel like you're free because, and this, that's what the second Corinthians passage, when, when you, when, when you're, when the spirit of God is active in your life, um, he leads you to what God desires and he he gives you these Godward desires um, to where they do become just second nature. I mean, and, and you know, I've had conversations with people and I'm like, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, because the, the truth of the matter is, is like the evidence of the spirit would show that you desire the word of the Lord, that the evidence of the spirit would show that you desire the people of God. Like that is how the spirit leads us. It, it, it's not, um, it's not so, it, it's not always the struggle. Now, again, there is a struggle, right? Because sometimes you're pushing against um, the the wind of the age. Um, I uh, um, I was listening to a song yesterday. A buddy sent it to me after the service. The old Bob or C, the Bob Seger song "Against the Wind," you know. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, there is this like reality, you know, I'm older now, but I'm still running against the wind. Like th there is this reality that the, the Christian life does get easier, right? I really do believe that the, the, the freedom grows, but there, there, there still is always an intentionality um, or else the winds start blowing back against you. So. Yeah. Well, and the other point is because the wind isn't mentioned until verse four with the wicked and the chaff, people can read the psalm. And when it's talking about the tree in verse three, they can think, oh, the tree doesn't have to worry about the wind. Uh, but I think that the wind is there in verse three. And that's why it's important that the tree has these deep roots in its next that's to the right. water and why it says that the leaf does not wither. But that's an important point for us to think about. It's not that Christians aren't going to face adversity or challenges. Um, and it's not that Christians should think that when they do, they haven't been faithful. They're not righteous. As That's a good word too. Is. Yeah. Uh, and that being a Christian means you have to flee the wind. Instead, you stand firm as you face the wind. So people who are in Atlanta and they're feeling these kinds of pressures, just feeling the pressure in itself is not a bad thing. And there's value in being a faithful witness. Yeah, and and that is the the there are moments where the wind stops. I mean, and that you and I have talked about this a lot. Like, you know, this is why you need corporate worship. Like, if you really were in the wind, do you keep using this illustration? But there was like, you know, every Wednesday night there was like a group of people that gathered that protected you from the wind, mm -hmm. and every Sunday there was a bunch more people that gathered and protected you from the wind. And every morning you could have a little shelter from the wind when you're really communing with God. You would want that. I mean, you would desire yeah. that. And I think that is why these rhythms actually, even though they're disciplines and even though they take time and energy and effort, they become so valuable to the true Christian because the more and more, if you will, to keep using the analogy, you soak up the stream and mature as a tree. It's kind of like the bigger the tree gets, the stronger it is to withstand the wind, but the more of wind it feels because it's, you know, it's yeah. bigger. Um, yeah. And so, it, I mean, we're, we're, we're taking, I don't even know if the psalmist had all this in mind, but like, uh, uh, but I, but there's some truth to that, like that, that it, and so a respite from the wind um, and not just a respite from a place where you're actually strengthened. Um, yeah. is amazing, which again, that that is this rhythm of gathering and scattering. We we gather to be strengthened, we scatter to to go be trees of fruitful righteousness in a in a lost world. So yeah. Now you said in the sermon that people they want to be righteous. They don't want to be wicked. They don't make a conscious decision to be wicked. But in their pursuit of righteousness, you say there's two primary ways that people can set out towards that. They they can pursue achievement or victimhood. But both of them will ultimately disappoint them. And I want to talk a little bit more about those. First, achievement. Isn't achievement a good thing? So That's how good, do we yeah, self-diagnose if this is, you know, where we're trying to find our righteousness and what's wrong about that? I mean, obviously, you know, yes. I mean, we we are meant to do deeds. We are meant to do things. We are meant to care for the world. We're meant to create culture. We're meant to make the world flourish. And so Going to achieve um, things is good, right? But, I mean, God's, if you, if you kind of just want to chalk it up, like within a design piece narrative, you know, God put, God created the world and put the man in the world to keep it, care for it, make it flourish, 
so that God would receive the glory he is due in his creation, right? And so achievement is a good thing, um, but the purpose of our achievement is the glory of God. But the thing that we have done in our rebellion against God is to take the good of achievement, which is good. It's amazing you create culture. It's amazing when you uh, take the raw materials of words and put it in this really amazing and helpful book. Uh, it's amazing when you can take the raw material of ancient ideas from the Old Testament and teach students to where they're like, oh my gosh, this is alive. I mean, that is an incredible skill. But if you did that for the glory of Will Kinds, and because I am this great you know, Old Testament scholar and thinker and teacher, um, you would get a sense of that because you're, 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 you're in a sense doing exactly what God made you to do, but you're just doing it with the wrong end. If you're doing it with yourself in mind and your own glory in mind, the problem is there's always somebody that more, more glorious that comes along. Um, and then you decline, then you're not as good at that. And so then what? But if you, if you always do that as a stewardship of what God has given to you, there's in a sense, no decline because you're just stewarding whatever you have at the moment. And there's no disappointment because if somebody else comes along and does it, you're not threatened by that. You're just like, great. Look at all the more glory that God is getting. His 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 world is being all the more cultivated um, in a sense. And so, yeah, so achievement when rightly framed is amazing and it brings God much glory. It becomes an offering to the Lord but achievement, achievement when it is self-focused, that's where people are driven by fear. They're driven by um, great anxiety, and they're they're driven by you know this high competitiveness that that puts them at odds with others. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where yeah, let's go make a name for this ourselves. great tower. It's a great achievement, but yeah, let's make a name for ourselves. And when we're yeah. finding our identity and our achievement, then it is going to eventually disappoint us. Uh, that, yeah. So what about victimhood then? Um, victims deserve our love. Um, so dealing with victimhood mentality, you brought that up, is a, is a delicate thing. So how do we love victims without encouraging them into a victimhood mentality? How do we, un, how do we identify if we're falling into that kind of mentality ourselves? So if something bad happens to you, right? If you are a victim, right? The, the, the right response, uh, you know, for that, um, is to pursue justice, to pursue healing, to pursue reconciliation and overcome that. And so in no way do I want to lessen, um, real hurt that people are going through or, or dissuade that you got to be careful when talking about uh, victimhood mentality. We have come into an age though, where people are exploiting their victimhood. Um, and this happens all the time. Um, and I mean, I just had a conversation today with someone and I was talking to them about, you know, gauging in the life of the church and they immediately went to a painful thing happened to me, you know? And so they're saying, I don't need to engage in the life of the church because a painful thing happened to me. We, we were in our teaching meeting and we were talking about um, the song In the Light by DC Talk. Remember that song? <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, the uh, there's a line that says, I am the king of excuses, 
I've got one for every selfish thing I do. Um, and I think that's what we're talking about. It's, it's this like, you know, I, yes, a couple of bad things happened to me, but now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this bad thing that's happened to me and I'm going to exploit it. I am going to take it as far as I possibly can to give me as much, um, leeway as I possibly can get so that I can behave however I want to behave. And, and I am righteous because this bad thing happened to me. I mean, Will, you're a dad and I know your girls, maybe this doesn't apply to you because you have like the best daughters in the world, but like at the D's house, at least if, if I like see John Kellis hitting Rainer, it's like, well, he did this to me, you know? And so he's exploiting his victimhood so that he can do this kind of evil thing against his brother. And I think that's what I'm talking about. And so I'm not, lessening that people are obviously facing real tragedy and we want to overcome that and there's consequence there's justice but there is this temptation to exploit our victim and it's actually one of the things that people do i got one for every selfish thing i do it's one that people use uh in order to kind of justify their own righteousness um and so yeah achievement and the exploitation of victimhood those are two ways and that i said you can either beat the other or blame the other, or then of course the the right way you can delight in the other, which is the call of the command, or the call of the psalm. Yeah, right. So that's what the psalm calls us to to delight in the Lord. Though actually here in verse two it says, "But his delight is in the law of the Lord." And so for Christians who might have a negative view of the law, because there are some things said in the New Testament that. Um, present the law in a more negative light. Right. How, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How can you hold this? Like, what is delighting in the law of the Lord, and how do you get from the law of the Lord to delighting in the Lord? Period. It seems like the delighting in the law of the Lord could be a distraction from that. Well, and and I, I mean, I would say that it to some degree it kind of goes the other way. I mean, that's where I tried to get at the end of the the way to the path is to just start delighting in Jesus, if you will. Hmm. When I realized that even though I was dead in my sin, Christ has made me alive. When, when I realized that even though I was an enemy of God, deserving of God's wrath, and Jesus came and took on that wrath and was put out so that I could be put in. When I realized that, then I can start trusting Jesus. And I realize that he loves me and that his plans for me are good. And then on top of that, oh, by the way, he doesn't just love me. He is the all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing God who has spoken. And if that God who is all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good has spoken and I can trust him, then it's like, man, I, I would hunger to hear from whatever he says, you know? And so I really believe you will start delighting in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, as you delight in the Lord, as you understand the gospel, as you know what he says. But 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 the way that you actually delight in the gospel of the Lord is to delight in the law. It's like, okay, now I'm going to obey whatever he says. Now I'm going to listen. I'm not going to plant my whole life on what he says. Yeah. And law there, we can misunderstand because it's the Hebrew word Torah, which actually just right. means instruction, right? And so that's right. As yeah. you said, the word of the Lord, we can understand anything in scripture as the, the Torah, the instruction of the Lord. And he's instructing us for our own good, for our blessing as Psalm 1 says. But how can the psalm command us to delight in something? How can it command us to delight? Oh, I see. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that is a, a good, uh, you know, question. I mean, I, I think what it it's doing, in a sense, it's it's creating this. It's blessed, you know. It, it, the way to prosperity is the one who delights um, in the law of the Lord, and so. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, there, there's one sense, Will, where you, it, it cannot just like, you you can't just delight. I mean, you know, you you have to see the value. You you have to, if you will, be redeemed. Uh, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we could talk about this, like, you know, it's like, okay, I'll just delight in the law of the Lord and prosper. Well, I mean, to, to some degree, like, you have to know God to to some degree you have to know God to love him. And if you really know him, you'll really love him. Um, but I do think that, you know, I mean, obviously as Christians, we would understand there's the spirit's work in this. Like, I mean, we can't, I wish I could just say delight in the law of the Lord. And everybody would say, yes, sir. I mean, to some degree, like I, I have to trust in the work of the spirit, the new birth regeneration that people would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, the goodness of God and the way of God and their own sin and their need for God and the love that God has shown us in the gospel yeah, that, that creates a delight. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now you mentioned that we need to take in the Bible both in community and individually. And I think it's the taking in scripture. That's part of what inspires this delight in us, but why both in community and individually? Like, you know, what if someone says, mm -hmm. well, I just read the Bible myself or, oh, I just go to church. I don't need to read it myself. Why is it, why are both important? You know, I, I was, uh, I was actually reading ahead, uh, to, um, the relational discipleship, uh, was that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Some of your like relational discipleship scripture, um, for the, um, the Our Daily Rhythm and, <laughs> Uh, I think you put um, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch um, in there. Yeah. And I like I like it because, you know, here's the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, I like that you chose that. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah. I mean, that's awesome. Um, but he's like, I, I don't know what it says. Like, how am I to understand this unless I have a guide? You know, and so to some degree, like God in his kindness has given us a guide. Like we, we need one another. We need to be doing this corporately together. Um, but, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's why we do this in community. We, we, in a sense, guide one another and not just guide one another. I mean, practically, how do we live out the Bible? It's, it's within the context of community. We keep one another accountable. We pray for one another. And so reading the Bible, being a part of a worshiping community, in a sense, is the Christian life. The Christian life is not just an assent to ideas. It's an invitation to be a part of a people. God is forming a people of his own possession. And then secondly, I think, why do we need to do it individually? I mean, because we need to do it individually. Like we 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 need to our whole lives to be planted on this tree. I mean, for me personally, and I guess I can speak from a personal experience here, um, you know, when I alone. I know myself. I know my heart. I know what I'm struggling with. When I alone take time to meditate on God's word and just the quietness of my own head, if you will, um, it's instructive in a very particular way. When I read the Bible as a part of a group, 
it's also instructive. Um, but there's there's a kind of instruction that 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 I can only get by myself, and there's a kind of instruction that I can only get in community. And so, I think in order to fully meditate on this and fully soak it up, you know, both are so important. I, I'd be curious. I, I mean, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's striking that the psalm is describing an individual, and there will be other psalms in the Psalter that are very communal. Uh, yeah, but yeah. The, the psalms themselves alternate back and forth between individual psalms and communal psalms, which reinforces that idea that the life of faith is a communal experience. We do it with others, but it's also an individual experience. Uh, we each get the opportunity to individually uh, encounter God, and He meets us as individuals. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's a powerful thing that it's not one or the other. And some of us can have a tendency to fall on one side or the other of that, but the real richness is right in between as both of them reinforce one another. I totally agree. Yeah. Now, since this Psalm is very practical in its instruction, uh, it could be tempting to read it and think, okay, like I can do this. I can, you know, set some Mm -hmm. reminders on my phone and I can set a new year's resolution for myself and I can do this kind of um, engagement with scripture every day, personal devotion. And, you know, I think this is a real danger for this whole series uh, because there are going to be a lot of practical, there's not going to be a lot of practical guidance in this series. I know. I want to, I want to give that warning, like every one of these sermons. Exactly. Because that is like, I don't want people to be like, I do the nine rhythms, you know, I mean, I'm good to go. I mean, the, the goal is that we would be we would delight ourselves in the Lord. I mean, to that to that point. But you said that the psalm actually points us to Christ, not to ourselves right. and our own strength. Yeah. How the problem with all these like righteousness, wickedness psalms is like none of us are. You know, it's like you. It's only really safe to read the psalms if you're a perfectly righteous person. <laughs> because I mean, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I'll be honest. You know, Will, I am susceptible to the Atlanta narrative. Um, I oftentimes don't really delight myself in the Lord. So much of what I've been meditating on is things that, you know, aren't necessarily pleasing to God. And so I can't really, I mean, when the light of God has shined on my heart, I mean, I think he finds like some good things in there, but he also finds the things that aren't good in there. And, and, and this is the reassuring nature of the gospel is that my righteousness is in Christ who has fulfilled every Psalm perfectly. And so I can read the psalm as a Christian in Christ, and it may be my best day and I'm feeling pretty righteous, or it may be like my worst day and I can still be encouraged by it. I don't have to be terrified by it. I don't have to, I don't have to fear being the chaff that's blown away. I don't have to fear not standing in the day of judgment because you know, I think of the old John Bunyan thing. My righteousness is in Christ. The, I mean, he's quoting scripture, but the same yesterday's day and forever. It doesn't matter if, you know, Bunyan says, like, if my frame is weak or my frame is strong, like the, the my righteousness is secure. And, and 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 as a Christian, when I study the Bible in Christ, it's soothing, it's restful. I know that the Lord accepts me even though I'm weak, but I can still, but it's still a mirror. It still like helps me to see, okay, but this part of my life. And so I can be reassured in this position of sonship. Um, I'm not. I'm not looking at Psalm one as a means to please the Father. I have 
please the Father in a sense. I am made right before the Father. I have come into fellowship with the Father in Jesus. But in Jesus, then I can actually be conformed into his image through the mirror, through the tool, through the nutrients of his word. Yeah, and and that leads really well into the final invitation you gave. You know, like a good Baptist pastor, you closed with the invitation. uh, I'm a Baptist, you know. Yeah, Uh, and this is what you said. You said, blessed is the man who doesn't just get blown over here to the way of the wicked, but who sees Jesus, who's called into a delight of the Lord through Christ. That's the invitation. And the invitation is that every day that 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 would be renewed as you feast on God's word, as you delight in him. Every day, you're going to be walking on one path or the other, the path of the righteous or the path of the wicked. I pray by God's grace and because of his son's mercy, he would pull our hearts to himself Mm. and the way of righteousness. And what I was struck by as I listened to that is the way that you're alternating between our action and God's action, right? God calls, he pulls our hearts, but we feast on God's word. We delight in him. We walk on the path of righteousness. So how do we hold those two things together, our action and God's action, as we work through this series? Yeah, I mean, if you can't, if you're not okay with that kind of tension, you can't be a Christian. Mm. I mean, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. I mean, to me, that is the Christian life. I mean, and so... I, um, I find this balance of, you know, understanding that God is calling me and understanding that I'm trusting in his providence. I, I, I work out this balance of God is gracious to me, but he calls me into obedience. And, you know, that's one of those tensions that, you, like I said, you just kind of, you have to be comfortable in. And, and when you slide off of, I would say both of those tensions pulling you in either direction, that's when you slide into heresy. You either slide into great despair because it's all me, or you slide into great apathy because it's all God. And then you might slide into despair too because maybe God hasn't called you, right? And so and so, there's no comfort actually at the edges. There's only comfort in the middle. But when you find that tension, and again, you know, there's times in my life where I'm more on this side and more on this. I mean, you know, the tension is real. Uh, but man, I can, I can, I can faithfully follow the Lord resting in his providential care. I can, I can follow in obedience, trusting that he is even working out my sin for his good. I can follow him in obedience, knowing that there are consequences for my sin. And so I think that there is this very real tension that you have to hold on to, um, in the Christian life. I wish I could think of a great like analogy, you know, right now, I feel like if I could, that would. I'd, I'd probably be a best-selling author because that that tension is, you know, so real in this Christian life. I don't know, do you have Do you have a word on that? Um, so you're putting me on the spot here, Jason. Uh, yeah. I I wonder if. Well, I want to say that there's a reason why love is such an important theme across scripture and the way it describes the way that we relate to God, because there is a sense. And when we talk about love, we talk about falling in love as if it has a power over us, but Mm -hmm. then love 
to actually be sustained. I love you. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It involves our action and it involves a, a, like an intentional action and a regular right. action. You can't rely on the just falling in love. Now, the difference is that God's love for us it will not go away, right? It, it is constant and we can rely on it. But the way that we experience it, uh, we could um, fall away. We could be, you know, to circle back to Psalm 1, right? You can start to walk in, in the way of the, the wicked and then you could stand and then you could sit in the Yeah, the no, I mean, I think so love is careful. a great, <clears throat> love is a great analogy because it requires both action and in a sense, reaction. I mean, you know, you're you're pulled, like you said, like when you're in love, you're you're out of control, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and and you know, you still get those moments. Like I mean, like I remember when a young Will Kynes was just falling head over his heels for Vanessa, and and you know this this mm. disciplined, focused young man was just this star-crossed, starry-eyed lover, you know. Um, <laughs> But now you've married her and you've raised three kids together and you've like, I mean, had countless hours of just intentionality of building the relationship and you've lived overseas and you've done all this stuff and you've put this enormous investment of time into love. And sometimes it feels like a lot of work, but sometimes still, and I know that you feel this because you guys have a great relationship, it still feels like you're out of control. I mean, that's the fun of love, you know, is yeah. like there's these moments with Paige where I'm like, you know, I couldn't be more in, you know, I couldn't be more crazy about you than I am right now. And then, you know, there's, there's also moments where I'm like, I have to really be a good husband right now because everything in me wants to be a bad husband, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's, a, I think love is a beautiful analogy and, you know, God is love. It makes sense that, and he wants to have a loving relationship with us. It makes sense that that would be the nature of how this relationship works. Yeah. Well, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. And next week is family worship. So an appropriate Perfect. segue. Wow. What a tie-in. <laughs> there we go. Well done. Well done. Uh, so next week we'll be back with family worship, and that's going to be with uh, Barrett Fisher, the, the right honorable yeah. Reverend Barrett Fisher. So looking forward to that. But for this week, uh, I'm Will Kynes, and thanks to Jason Dees. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talkback podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text pastor line at 404-465-1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.